Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 175, Reunion. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we take a streamlined look at an episode of Star Trek, pulling it apart for messages and ideas and seeing what, if any of it, fits into the world today in the way of our fathers and our fathers' fathers and their fathers before them. We've sped things up a little bit, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because those guys, I mean, it was like one episode a month with them. Old ways. I know, right? Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, this week, Kempex getting the band back together. It's Reunion. Woo! <laughs> Maybe not quite that fun. Uh, in a moment, John will carry on the tradition of trivia. But first, if you have some Klingon wisdom that you'd like to share with us, you know, some blood pudding recipes, uh, settling the age-old Klingon, Klingon debate, um, there are several ways that you can get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can. Our phone number is 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, and all kinds of other fun stuff is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. You you weren't going to do a, a blood pudding recipe in this episode, were you? Uh, I wasn't, but it, I, I think I might do trivia with weapons. Oh, okay, cool. I look yeah, forward to that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, here we go. Uh, today's trivia. Reunion was written by everybody. <laughs> uh, well, uh, for the story anyway, you, you have a credit for uh, Drew Deegan, who wrote the story for Sins of the Father from season three. Uh, you've also got story credits for Thomas and Joe Perry. Um but it was Brandon Braga who was assigned by Jerry Taylor and Michael Piller with Ron Moore to rewrite the script on this one. Uh, so this was Brandon's first script for Next Generation and his first collaboration with Ron Moore. Now, Ron got hate mail for killing uh, Kalar. Sure. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there was really... Hey, spoiler like, alert, by the way, if you haven't seen the episode. <laughs> Yeah, we, we expect usually that people watch the episode before they listen to us. Um, though it, it was really Michael Dorn's idea. Well, it, if you ask him, um, it depends on who you ask. But Michael Dorn says that Maurice Hurley had asked him what would really piss off Worf. And Dorn said, kill his old lady. Hmm. Uh, and Susie Plaxon still has not forgiven him. <laughs> so, But that also brings us to Michael Piller saying that it was his idea, um, at least his idea to go through with it, because it was reasonable motivation to get Worf where he needed to go for the episode. Now, uh, Ron Moore says that he has always liked reading the hate mail, and uh, the really negative reviews really kind of gets him going. The most interesting piece of hate mail he got for this episode was one from Patricia Keneally Morrison. Do you know that name, Ken? I do not. So you remember in the movie The Doors, uh, when Jim Morrison, played by Val Kilmer, has that weird like uh, wedding ceremony with a witch. Yeah. That is Patricia Keneally. Really? That is a true story. Uh, <laughs> so she dated Jim Morrison for a brief time, and they were married in a pagan ceremony, though legally it didn't hold. And uh, she was a Star Trek fan, and she wrote apparently a beautifully calligraphied piece of hate mail about what happened in this episode. Wow. 
Now, uh, Reunion was directed by some young upstart called Jonathan Frakes. Uh, he's already directed one for us called The Offspring uh, hmm. before that. Maybe he'll do some more. Hope to see him around. Uh, and props, well, we get to see that weird ball chair again that we mentioned before. And we get to see one of the weapons that Tasha used in Code of Honor. I don't know if you noticed that. The, uh, the, the ball is... with all the spikes on it? Well, yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, I guess Worf picked that up when uh, they left Code of Honor. <laughs> I guess. Like, well, I guess I'll just keep that because uh, why not? Love well, they got, weapons. They got to have 3D printers in the 24th century. Maybe he just described it. Oh, there you go. Right? And had it, you know. Picture and said here. Make exactly. This. Yeah, yeah. And this episode marks the first on-screen appearance of an iconic Star Trek prop, the Klingon Batleth. Visual effects artist Dan Curry, bit of a martial arts enthusiast. Well, that's understating it. After school, Dan went to Thailand with the Peace Corps, and he learned to speak the language fluently, and he also became an expert in martial arts, hmm. seriously into martial arts. Uh, he contributed a lot then to the fighting style that we see the Klingons. He designed the Batleth in foam and got approvals except from the stunt coordinator, that was Dennis Madalone, uh, but he eventually came around to love the Batleth, too. It was designed based on a Chinese fighting crescent, and uh, just like you might imagine, a curved blade weapon with a handle in the middle. Incidentally, Dan Curry is a Star Trek fan and collector, too. He kept some uh, souvenirs from set, as well as a lot of the commercial Star Trek products that were on the market in his collection. Guest stars this week, some new and some returning. We have Susie Plaxen back as Kalar and Charles Cooper as Kempek and also Patrick Massett as Duras. They are joined by John Stewart as Alexander. That's the only time we will see him in that role. And he later on went to appear in Grace Under Fire for a few years before dropping out of acting. And Robert O'Reilly as Gowron. Now, we've mentioned Bob once before in season two for Manhunt, where he had a brief role in the holodeck. But now we introduce him as the Klingon Gowron. And it's not a spoiler to say that we will be seeing a lot more of him in the future. Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Of course, he started out with a number of TV guest roles. And since Star Trek, he has appeared in a number of video games as Gowron and even had a role in Roddenberry on Patrol. While Bob has technically retired from acting, you can still find him hamming it up at conventions, sometimes as himself, sometimes as Gowron. Love, murder, an explosion. This episode has everything. Let us let John tell us more. Prologue. Some totally boring mission for the Enterprise turns into a not boring mission when a Klingon cruiser decloaks right off the bow to say hello. It's Kalar, you know, Worf's mate. And she has some important news for her Federation friends. Worf hesitates to go meet her in the transporter room, what with his discommendation and all. But Picard basically says, look, don't be such a tool. Do your job. And Worf goes. When Kalar beams in, she's got a companion. A teeny tiny Klingon, like... Like, like a little kid, but a Klingon kid. Act one. You were thinking it. I was thinking it. Even Chief O'Brien was thinking it. That is Worf's kid, named Alexander. But Kalar has kept it a secret. Worf doesn't seem too happy. And Alexander doesn't know because he's been in a daycare while his parents have grown-up talk. But to the mission at hand. There is a Klingon battle brewing for control of the Empire. 
Kempek, the emperor, is dying, and the fight to take his place will likely spill over into the Federation. For that reason, Kempek wants to see Picard. Kempek poses a question to Picard. How would you like to arbitrate choosing the next Klingon Supreme Counselor? No? Well, too bad. It's already in the works. The invitations have already been sent. Also, the reason Kempek is dying is that he has been poisoned, either by Gowron or Duras. Let's see. Now, where do we know the name Duras again? Oh, yes, the guy who orchestrated Worf's discommendation to protect his own family name and also tried to have Picard assassinated. Now Picard is interested in the job. Find the person who poisoned Kempek and make him emperor. No, 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 no. The, the other way around. Find the person who poisoned Kempek and make the other guy emperor. The kind of Klingon who doesn't show his face to one he is killing truly has no honor and should not be their ruler. Act 2. Kempek is dead. Now we just hold out for Gowron and Duras so Picard can arbitrate who will become the next emperor. It's a good time for Worf, then, to get to know his son, who doesn't know he's his son. Alexander is having a tough time assimilating to daycare with the other kids on the Enterprise. Where are the puppies when you need them? He also lets Worf know that he's not too interested in growing up to be a warrior. This is the old man's line of work, you know, but uh, it's not right for the kid. Kalar still pressures Worf about not admitting that Alexander is his son, but Worf has his reasons, not the least of which is a discommendation. The whole bloodline is responsible for the actions of the father. And we know what Worf's father was accused of doing, colluding with the Romulans at Kittimer. At least Worf took the fall for it, legit or not. Kalar doesn't get it. She can't believe that Worf would just give up once he challenged the accusation. No time to discuss, though. Two Klingon warbirds, Vorn and Baruch, have arrived carrying Duras and Gauron, respectively. Duras is in no mood to wait. He wants to get things going to pick the new emperor, presumably himself, but Picard tells him that they will all meet in an hour on board Kempak's ship, and Duras makes it clear that Worf is not invited, called him a patak and everything. Picard calls Worf into his ready room. Yeah, things could get dicey, but Worf is ready with a judgment. Only he and Picard know what happened in that Klingon council chamber, and Duras is clearly not fit to lead. Picard says not so fast. Duras's father was the one who betrayed the Klingons, and it was Duras who laid the claim on Worf's father. One more thing. Kembeck was murdered, so that might have some bearing on who takes the seat of power. Worf doesn't know much about Gowron, other than that he's an outsider. But he just knows Duras is a conniving son of a... Bet you we should get over to Kempek's ship to see what's happening. It's an old Klingon tradition. Poke the corpse with a stick to make sure he's dead. Yep, he's dead. Duras is really anxious to get the new Chancellor named, but Picard says, wait, we're going to do this the old-fashioned way. Before Duras can complain, though, an explosion rips through the chamber where they're all standing. Act 3. Everybody is okay, well, except for two non-essential Klingons who were killed. Worf is concerned about Kelar. She knows. She knows he's not just interested in her safety, but, you know, he, he likes her, too, in that romantic Klingon way. They're so close, these two. Think they'll ever get married? Well, even if Kalar doesn't care about Klingon tradition, Worf is serious about his discommendation and the secret he hides. He doesn't want that to rub off on the boy. She relents. Then at least be his friend if you can't be his father. Picard and Kalar plot to buy a little time while an investigation can be completed about the explosion. 
Normally, the rites of succession are pretty quick, but she knows of an older ritual, the Jachuk, in which both nominees have to recite a list of the battles they've won and the prizes they've taken, presumably to show each other how big their pain sticks are. Picard likes this idea, but before Kalar leaves, she asks him for some information about what happened during Worf's discommendation. He says, nope, he can't answer. The two Klingons, Gowron and Duras, are assembled in the briefing room, trading insults when Picard enters. It gets heated enough when Duras accuses Gowron of planting that bomb. Once Picard gains control of the room again, he lays down the law that will go through with the Jachuk, which will take hours or days. It totally depends on them. In worse quarters, Alexander is admiring a formidable Klingon weapon, a batleft that has been in Worf's family for generations. Worf even shows the kids some sweet moves how to wield that thing just in case it's needed for battle or something. Gowron bends Kalar's ear. You know, if she speeds up the process and let's say he wins, Kalar could find herself with some very comfortable rewards in the Empire. A seat on the council, command of her own ship... She's not having it, so he just resorts to veiled threats about how Kempek is dead, and it would be a shame if she found herself that way, too. Politics is dirty business. Data and Jordy have been doing some work in the meantime. About that bomb on Kempek's ship, it was tiny, no more than three millimeters square. And one other thing, it used a molecular decay detonator, which is only used by Romulans. Act 4, Romulans? Yeah, those guys. Unlikely they could just do this on their own. What's more likely is that they had help on the inside from a Klingon, and who knows for what purpose. But if the Romulans are trying to surreptitiously form an alliance with the Klingon seat of power, it could have serious ramifications for the Federation. So who's behind it? Duras or Gowron, Riker wants to know. Kalar says Gowron came to her with a threat, but Worf says Duras must be the guilty one for, you know, reasons. Picard wants to mix it up a little. He invites the Patak, I, I mean Worf, to the next meeting since he knows it will anger Gowron and Duras. Kalar is still not satisfied that she doesn't know the full story of what happened to Worf, and she requests the ship computer to play back all the accessible personal logs for the time the Enterprise visited the Klingon homeworld. While she's doing that, Picard is proceeding with the Jachuk, but in the interim, he has Worf come in with the results of their investigation about the bomb. It does indeed anger Duras and Gowron when Worf enters, and when he lets them know about the Romulan nature of the bomb, well, both Gowron and Duras are cool with dropping the proceedings for a moment to investigate further. Kalar is digging a little deeper. She requests files from the Klingon homeworld about the most recent inquest into the Kittimer massacre. But those files are locked, even to an ambassador like herself. Who locked them? Some guy named Duras. As the plot has now really thickened, Kalar requests all biographical information on Duras. But wouldn't you know, Duras has received a message from the Klingon homeworld that someone is going through his files, that someone named Kalar. Duras has his comrade distract the guard, and in a moment, he has made his way to Kalar's quarters. She has got him figured out. Duras's father was also at Kittimer. The records were sealed, but what was there was altered to make it look like Worf's father was responsible. Worf took the fall, and Duras was to blame. Act 5. Down in sickbay, Beverly Crusher has been doing her part to help the investigation into the bomb on Kempak's ship. The bomb was actually hidden inside the forearm of one of the Klingons, and it killed that one along with another. 
It so happens that the Klingon with the arm bomb was one of Duras's men, and it killed one of Gowron's. As Riker points out, Klingons see it as honorable to die in a suicide that also takes out an enemy. Worf and Alexander make their way to Kalar's quarters to find a gruesome scene. She's bloodied, barely alive. Worf asks if it was Gowron. She whispers no. She asks for Alexander and places her hand on his and Worf's before she dies. Once she is gone, Worf lets out a yell on the Klingon death ritual. He also tells Alexander to look at this scene and not forget. When Dr. Crusher arrives, Kalar is already beyond saving. The damage is too great. Worf, meanwhile, has left Alexander and run to his quarters where he leaves behind his communicator and picks up his batleth. When Riker inquires to Worf's whereabouts, the computer says he beamed over to the Vorn, Duras's ship. Worf has claimed the right of vengeance, announcing to Duras that Kalar was his mate. And now what we've all been waiting for, a good old-fashioned Klingon cage match, Worf and his batleth, Duras and his sword. Worf doesn't even care that Duras is the only one who can expose his innocence to the Council. By the time Riker and Data arrive with their phasers drawn, Duras is literally neck deep in Worf's batleth. Duras is dead. Gowron wins. Oh yeah, uh, a Starfleet officer just murdered someone who happened to be a political candidate? Picard is not happy. He is so unhappy, he tells Worf, that he really hopes he thinks about what he has done. Does he want to resign? No then a reprimand will go on Worf's personal record. And now that we've got that cleared up, isn't it about time for the truth about Duras to come out? Worf says no. It would dishonor all the members of the High Council who participated in the cover-up, but the day will come. In his quarters, Worf tells Alexander that he will be picked up at Starbase to be cared for by Worf's adoptive parents. A starship is no place to raise a kid. Just ask all the kids on the Enterprise. Finally, Alexander asks Worf if he is his father. Worf says yes, and brings in Alexander for a big warrior hug. The end. You know how I speak in song, right? Yep, constantly, yeah. I hope you know that this will go down on your permanent (laughs) record. (laughs) Very good. Oh, yeah? Yeah, okay, that's pretty much it. That's kind of Worf's response, right? Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, okay, well, Mm -hmm. all right. I'll be back running security for everybody then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Write that really big. Someone brought up in an email to us. He said, if this had happened to somebody else, like somebody peeling potatoes or yeah. just a random guest star, that person <laughs> would be gone. He would be off the Enterprise in well, no time. Well, you know, I thought this actually, this is another one of those, um, except for that one time moments that you love so much. Like, oh, Spock's great. You know, except for that one time that he took the Enterprise to Talos for. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kirk's time. great, except for that, you know, that one time that he stole the Enterprise to look for a dead guy. Right. Data's great, yeah. except for that one time he locked everyone out of the Enterprise controls and hijacked the ship. And uh, Worf's great, except for that one time he straight up killed a guy in front of a superior <laughs> officer. This is your one screw-up, Worf. This is one to you get this one, but not, not the next one, okay? It's good to know how high those go, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you could you can straight up kill a political I candidate. understand you lost a sack of potatoes. Yeah, that's your one screw up. <laughs> really? That's it? Man. Because that other guy like killed a guy. <laughs> right. And that was well, his that was one his. screw up. Yeah. It's not yours. Yeah. Right. 
Aim so, high, John. That's the point. <laughs> it just, you know, there's a great deal of cultural relativism there. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, Picard is saying, I understand that where you come from, it's totally okay to kill somebody like that. But, but you see, where we are, we don't really do that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll give it a pass. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Yeah. Um, do Klingons just grow up really fast? How, how long has it been since Kalar's last visit? I don't know. Year and a half, couple of years, maybe. Well, but the thing is, we're only talking about seasons. I mean, we we've talked before about not really knowing how much time has passed, like from one episode of Star Trek to the next. I guess you could do the whole, you know, star date, whatever thing. But sure, we we. I mean, they're always on a boring mission. Yeah, oh god, right. And yeah. we only yeah. see the ones that get interrupted. Right. So, I mean, it, it, it may have been five years since she was there. Okay, so it was it was literally an afternoon between well, not even an afternoon, but but a split second between the end of season three and the beginning of season four. But it was like five years between the end of season two and season three because yeah, you had to get Beverly back and you had to get rid of uh, Pulaski and all that. <laughs> and it gives that kid some time to grow up. It does indeed. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we also learned here that the uh, the very multicultural Enterprise has thirteen planets represented amongst the crew. Can you name them? No, no. Well, we haven't seen. Uh, and Dr. you call Salar. yourself a trivia master. Well, wait. Well, we haven't seen Doctor Salar in forever, so I don't even trust that there's a Vulcan on board. No, she's there though, because remember in um, in uh, Remember Me, Beverly calls for her. Yeah, but that was forever ago, and you know they they could have gotten rid of her. That was that just time. two episodes ago. I just, it <laughs> seems like a lifetime. <laughs> well, and it may have been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I really respect Compact. Because a real Klingon suspects that he's been poisoned through wine, therefore he drinks more wine. <laughs> Just bring it on. Yeah, Although, I think it was actually the lead cup that he was drinking out of. <laughs> Might have been. <laughs> it, it looked like a lead cup. It did. It, it was awfully scratched. It looked a little soft, maybe a little malleable. His mm-hmm. lips were gray. I'm thinking. Yeah, it might yeah. have been the cup. It could have been, or maybe it was like a new thing that Klingons were. It was like an asbestos cup and dipped in lead. And here, just drink out of this. It's it's delicious. Um, I like that uh, Alexander asks. Uh, oh no, he, yeah, he's he's asking all these questions of Worf, and he's just doing what a little kid does. Like, why, why this, why that? And then Worf says, "A warrior does not ask so many questions." And I really think that parents should use that more often with their kids these days. Hmm. You just know, a warrior doesn't do that? Just straight up a warrior does not okay. do that. Yeah. yeah. And um, now he also mentions that a Klingon does not use poison because the murder would have no honor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought as opposed to all the, the honorable murders. That, well, uh, in, that in Klingon society, there are honorable the murders. Yeah. yeah. This yeah, would yeah. have absolutely no honor. No. It's weird, though. Like, how is he able to do it? And how did Duras yeah. know? Not yeah. Duras, I'm sorry, I had a Kempek now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this this is what's killing me. Yeah. Hmm. As you say, and then he just downs another gallon, right. probably. It yeah. was good to see the pain sticks again, um, mm-hmm. as pain sticks. I know you said it like a week or two ago that they were actually another kind of weapon. Yeah. I guess it was last week. Yeah, it was in Legacy. A um, little bit twisted that they were used on a dead guy. I mean, yeah. you know, it was to make sure that he is dead. I get that. <laughs> but, you know, it's still kind of sick. <laughs> Uh, it did remind yeah. me of the whole, you know, hammering the Pope thing. 
Do you know about this? You know about I, this. I, I, no, I mean, short of like, you know, putting a mirror under somebody's nose to see if they're still breathing. I don't know about hammering the Pope. Yeah, no. So there's this, there's this thing and it turns out, I, I went to Snopes and it turns out it's not necessarily true, but it's reported mm. all the time. Mm. So there is, a, there is actually a silver hammer that they, they do believe was used and is still used to uh, break the, the papal ring. His signet ring, so the thing that you know they use to make mm. the signatures mm-hmm. for you know, any people to create yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But it's also reported that that they tap him on the head three times with this silver oh. hammer. And and actually, I read up on it a little bit. I was disappointed to find out that it's not necessarily a real thing because when I oh, first okay. heard about it, I was like, "That's like so much. That's so fun, but so weird at the same time." <laughs> and I always figured that the reason that it happened was the first time somebody killed the Pope with a hammer. Right. right, right, and then somebody yeah. else came in. He's like, "No, no, no! I was just making sure he was dead. No, he was dead <laughs> when I got here. But I, you know, I wanted to make, I wanted to check. Uh-huh. So hitting him with, on the head with a hammer was the best thing. And we still don't know actually if that was ever a, a thing. One of the things on Snopes says that um, it actually was a thing up until Vatican II in the 1960s, hmm. when they dropped that tradition. So, uh, so but it's somewhere believed- in. Somewhere in papal history, then between you know like a hundred A.D. and the nineteen sixties, mm-hmm. at some point there may have been a pope who actually uttered the phrase "I'm not dead yet." Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah. Well, the Snopes thing. I mean, go, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a creepy article. Yeah, I bet. Apparently, I bet. people were so afraid. This was very odd to me. Anyway, this is going sideways. Never mind. <laughs> it's okay. I just I want to know if they attribute the silver hammer to Maxwell. No, they no. they do actually talk about that though. No, uh, Maxwell's silver hammer was actually uh, sort of an early uh, version of John Lennon's instant karma. Mm. The idea you do something wrong and 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 instant karma is going to get you. Oh, cool! Was, was okay. what they said. Yeah. Oh, very. There you go, man. All right. Yeah. There's Pope Minute brought to you by Mission Log. <laughs> I was actually going to say it's my Snopes cast. Yeah, Snopes cast. I'll just right. go through and do. Like weird pages from Snopes. All right, back, back to Gowron, the guy with the crazy eyes. I yeah. love that. I love the crazy eye. Crazy eyes cling on right there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> that's sort of Robert O'Reilly's signature thing. Yeah. And, and, and man, does it work for that character? It's just super cool and creepy, but fun. He he brings sort of a a fun style to the Klingons that we don't always see. They're very serious. The Klingons. They take yeah. their honor very seriously. Yeah. There's an edge to Gowron. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're mm-hmm. all, you know, angry. They're all willing to fight. But Gowron might just start. He's just a little wacky. <laughs> right? He might just, just go any wacky. second. Yeah. 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 Make that guy the king. Yeah. So, you know how you have lines in a show and and it's like, oh, this will be this will be really dramatic. And mm-hmm. then, you know, you say it out loud and you're like, Ugh, maybe say it differently. So there are like 43 files that she has to go through. Right. 43 yeah. um, um, uh, logs from different yeah. people. Yeah. And uh, to 43 inches, well, we'll just take them one at a time, as opposed to, I guess, playing them all at once. <laughs> because, oh, I got it. Yeah, all 43. I think I heard something in there. Uh-huh. I don't remember which one, though. Ah, I should have just taken them one at a time. <laughs> Data could do it. <laughs> Data, Data could, could do but it. But I, I, I don't think that Kalar could do it. I don't think yeah. so. No, I think she's, yeah, maybe she's just bemoaning the fact that, ah, and we'll take them one at a time. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but try it with a different read. Give me a little more to it. <laughs> a little life into it. Come yeah. on. Um, did Gowron and Duras really do any investigating into the bomb? Yes. You, you think so? I do believe so. Well, I mean, obviously Duras didn't because he knew. Well, he, it, well yeah, he didn't I think, have I think to. Gowron did. 
Well, I just wondered, is this how they do things? Is this how Klingons do things? Because just all the time, it's just id. Just like, uh, something blew up? Uh, Fight. Uh, Someone I don't like entered a room? Fight. Elections are taking too long? Let's just fight about it. It, It's a wonder that they have survived as long and made as many advance, you know, uh, like technological advancements as they have. Because they're really, like, they don't even care. I mean, they kind of care because, okay, a bomb killed somebody. But uh, here's the extent of our investigation. It was a bomb, and we're done. We investigated it. (laughs) Well, okay, okay, here's the thing, though. (laughs) So Duras is not going to investigate it because he knows because he did it. Yeah, he's going to cover up as much as he can. And And Calron's not going to investigate it because he knows he didn't. Yeah. I mean, really, the only only surprise in the whole thing – is when they find out that there was Romulan collusion involved. And once mm. they once they know that, then Doras is like, oh, I'm 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 boned. <laughs> and Gowron's like, hey, wait a minute, what? I mean he realizes there's more at play there, but I mean there's really no need for either of them to investigate it because I mean they know it wasn't the Federation who did it. I mean yeah. I'm surprised actually that, you know, well, that's not the way this story was written. I mean it could have been why didn't they throw shade on um Worf? Mm-hmm. He has no honor, and he would hate the Klingon, blah blah blah, or something like that. You know, right? right. But that would be a completely different episode. It's true. A whole other episode of Columbo. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, when Riker says that uh, it, it would be an honorable, for, if we're a Klingon, an mm-hmm. honorable way to die a suicide that takes an enemy with it. Um, I, I thought that was very interesting. That this is something that at least in the well, you know, from the 20th century and up until this recording, that is a thing that we see, yes. uh, you know, from time to time in the uh, political and social reality of the time in which we live. Um, yeah, uh, unfortunate, but true. But uh, I thought that was an interesting line of his. Um, another thing that I thought of, uh, I, I had this worry that it wasn't just Duras who was in collusion with the Romulans. I mean, seriously, I, it's not just one guy, I mm-hmm. don't think, because um, conspiracies on that level surely aren't that small, because if you've got the entirety of the Romulan Empire, or maybe, I, you know what, maybe I should take that back. Maybe it's one Romulan. If all it took was the the brave Admiral Jarek to uh, <laughs> turn himself into the Federation, maybe it just takes one rogue Romulan to go find one rogue Klingon, though I don't know where they meet. You know, <laughs> I don't know where they get together to hand off things like, hey, you know, italics B. Yeah. Yeah. Here's this bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to, to italics B. No, here's it's not a bomb. You don't, just it's give you tiny. A, don't just give you a bomb, though. You actually have to implant it, right? Somebody has to yeah. implant it in the Klingon. Yeah. I would so think. It, there's a whole thing. There, there's a lot of people that have to be involved in that, I would think. <laughs> yeah, along those lines, it was interesting to me. I mean, as far as the number of people that would have to be involved in something. It was interesting mm-hmm. to me that the, the High Council is willing to turn a blind eye towards murdering Duras. Because they do, in the end, yeah. right? I mean, they're yeah. just like, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Klingon Council, I think Worf says something like, I, I acted within my rights as a Klingon. And, and Picard says, oh, yeah, and the Klingon Council would agree. They think this whole situation is closed. Man, there had to be a bunch of guys there who were just like you know, mopping their brow going, wow, we, we dodged. How many bullets did we dodge right then? <laughs> right. Because, right. I mean, maybe they're honoring Klingon tradition or maybe they're sort of relieved that, you know, as not Klingon as they've all become, mm-hmm. Duras is really not Klingon. I mean, yeah. it, it poisoning somebody, um, dishonoring Worf. To save his own father's honor, yeah. um, 
uh, what was the other one? Oh, working with the Romulans. Of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe somebody there knew, but I mean, yeah, of course it's fine with them if Worf kills, <laughs> if Worf kills Duras. <laughs> Please, we've been trying to figure out how to, you know, when we brought you here for discommendation, we thought maybe. <laughs> but now. So, yeah. So I didn't, I couldn't tell if like, so is this them dodging that bullet or was it just sort of a nod to the unfairness of Worf's situation, if not an outright admission? Like, okay, we have, you know. If anybody else had done it, we'd probably have to say something, but you get a pass because, boy, did, boy, did we screw you last time. You know, or, or maybe they don't even care that much. Maybe they're just like, oh, politics, schmolitics. But, <laughs> but hey, but when Duras killed that guy's mate, oh, right of vengeance is on because we understand that. Absolutely take that guy out. And, you know, speaking of honor, because the, the Klingons do have some, some interesting and malleable ideas of honor. Yeah. Is it more honorable to leave your, with your parents due to career demands or to raise the kid on your own? I'm just curious how this works out in Klingon culture. <laughs> Sorry. I love, the, I love the touching moment. Are you my father? Yes, I am your father. Gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> Remember what happened when they added a young child to Happy Days? If Worf goes anywhere near a shark, it is curtains for this show. So I found myself in thinking about what happened with, um, and thinking about what happened with Kempak. I found myself thinking of the words of Thomas Jefferson. Oh, I know. Uh, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants," said Thomas Jefferson. That's, um, that, that sounds violent. It does. It does. Yeah. And here's the thing: so, so Kempak dies, and then we come back. I guess it's in Act Two, and uh, Picard says Kempak, who ruled the Klingon High Council longer than anyone in history, is dead. And I, I couldn't help wondering if he was there too long. Um, yeah. Did he sort of feed that status quo? Um, I mean, and and he, I mean, there are a number of things that sort of go into this. He is seriously only the second fat Klingon that we've ever seen, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. He's gotten comfortable. Now, of course, uh, that woman, um, Worf's nanny, says that even when he was younger, he was he was a little too portly for her liking. Uh-huh. But, I mean, he's obviously been fairly comfortable uh, all throughout. Um yeah. I'm wondering if he and the Klingons just became too sedentary or too comfortable. I mean, because there's I – mean, and, and, you know, jokes about his corpulence aside, there's Worf's discommendation. Uh, there is his own murder. I mean, a lot of, a lot of really horrible stuff has grown, grown up in his shadow, and it all seems to be, you know, in the name of maintaining the status quo. I mean, they were not about – when we talked about this, when we talked about um, Sin to the Father – yeah, they were not about making the Klingon Empire better. They were just about making sure it didn't get worse. And right. it feels like when that's all they were going for, I mean, it's sort of like it's sort of like I said to you earlier: aim high. I mean, if you're if you're only <laughs> aiming like to just to go straight, you're going to fall down a little bit. Aim a little bit higher, and hopefully you'll hit straight. That was just, and it just kind of made me wonder if um, leaving him there too long, or if his being there too long, actually led to part of uh, led to part of what happened with uh, with everything. Yeah, I see what you mean. There, there don't seem to be term limits for an emperor on no. the Klingon Empire. And maybe there should be. Yeah, um, I'm not a term I, limit. I mean, honestly, I'm not a term limits guy. I mean, that was the one yeah. problem that I had saying that. I mean, yeah. I'm not – I hate the idea of term limits. I'd rather you had a uh, an engaged electorate. 
You know, sure. I mean, if somebody sure. is serving you well for 20 years, put them in for 25, you know, yeah. <laughs> but if they're not, yeah. if they're not, take them out. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't mean take them out in the Klingon way. I mean, you know, vote, <laughs> vote them out <laughs> or vote them yeah. down or impeach them or whatever it is. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I just kind of wondered if it was sort of like, ah, well, we know him. Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah, yeah. He's not going to screw things up. Have you seen Gowan? He's got crazy eyes. I'm not voting for him. <laughs> no, it makes it makes absolute sense. But then with the the whole Klingon Empire, with everything in Klingon tradition being built upon honor and conquest, mm-hmm. well, it, maybe that's just the 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 rut we find ourselves in now, where where they they have achieved at least some level of stability and worth's interest obviously in maintaining that stability by lying you know by by taking this discommendation even though he didn't need to by not exposing the truth um perhaps perhaps it's one of those things that everybody just accepted and said okay well he he has earned this position things have been okay since he's been here yeah despite Despite a, a false discommendation, <laughs> despite these other things, yeah, we'll we'll keep him in. Yeah, um, the Klingon honor thing made me ask. Well, there was this line that that Data has that I thought was great, and in many ways, he said the use of the word excuses, which he says to Kalar, indicates some ulterior motive for war. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, absolutely, there are many excuses for war, or just many reasons. Maybe we should say. And I guess we kind of pick and choose which ones we want to use depending on how we're trying to frame the war. Um, and maybe honor is a good enough excuse, at least for a Klingon. You know, maybe maybe had any other Klingon been asked that, they would have said, yes, that is absolutely the reason for the war. But somebody like uh, Kalar, who is half human and eschews a bit of Klingon tradition, um, maybe she's not okay with that. Well, but, she's also an ambassador. I mean, it's her job is. to. I mean, it, it, one of her jobs would be to try to keep them out of war. I would think. Yeah. Otherwise, you just don't have an ambassador. Sure. sure. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> to have a guy with a gun <laughs> instead of somebody who's like, no, let's talk about this. Yeah. Well, I love that Kalar has the attitude that she has about everything. You know, she's she's a pragmatist with really no need for tradition. Um, at least the kind of the abuses of tradition that go on around her. Um, And in some ways, I think that makes her a great ambassador slash representative, though. Though I still wonder how she got the job in the first place. Hmm. With all the, uh, you said it earlier, with all the shade (laughs) that other Klingons, uh, you know, kind of throw toward Worf, they're kind of all okay with Kalar. They're, They're kind of all right with her. I mean, Duras is not, but, you know, He's only not when he finds out that she's going through his files. But she's got a thick skin, which is definitely a necessity. Um, so I, that's a, there are many great attributes to her character. And I get it why people are and were upset about killing her off after only t- two visits to the Enterprise. Um, but fortunately, it raised the stakes of the drama, made everything that much more um, understandable in terms of motivation. But everything about this, you know... Everything about Worf still trying to find himself uh, vis-a-vis her and and Alexander is just great when you introduce a character like her and Mm -hmm. like Alexander. They're both non-traditional Klingons. And and I like that that forces Worf to examine who he is. I can't remember which episode it was when 
I mentioned it the first time, but I think it, it might have been the offspring. It might have been with Lal. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the the edict that had been sort of handed to the writer on that one, uh, Rene uh, Echeverria, was that the guest star, uh, the story couldn't be about the guest star. It had to be about the main characters. So therefore, the story couldn't be about Lal, and that's why you couldn't keep Lal around. But it had to be about Data, how Data is affected by her. And in this, you've got a Worf story. And you've got how Worf is affected by these people around him. And what I love is that the more and more we chip away at the Worf character by introducing us to his adoptive parents who are wacky, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and by showing these other Klingons that are not like his idea of Klingons, I think is fantastic because it forces him more and more and more to build an identity for himself and not just constantly fall back on this statement of honor. Well, whatever I do is is honorable because I'm a Klingon and Klingons are honorable. Yeah. I was amazed to see Alexander here because I did not remember and we're just going to blow straight through the timeline. I didn't <laughs> I didn't remember that Alexander came and went and then mm. and then came back. Yeah. In fact, I was confused that it wasn't Brian Bonsell who was playing Alexander because I didn't realize there had been two people that play him. Mm-hmm. Um, for this one particular episode, I'm disappointed that, I mean, it's good that I'm glad that I know that they brought him back because this could very easily be Kirk's brother, George, and Kirk's nephew, yeah, little Kirk, <laughs> whose name I don't remember, and neither does Kirk. So, you know, that's cool. Um I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's like, oh, it introduces this new dimension. I feel like we only know that there's a new dimension introduced, though, because we do know that Alexander's coming back. Yeah. I mean, this is very much a a standard TV thing to do. Like, oh, I didn't know you had a sister, Tasha. (laughs) Kind of thing, right? (laughs) Oh, look, we we needed a character, and so we made up this character, and now we need that character to not be here anymore, so it's going away. Um, I think if we did not know that Alexander was coming back, I would be... Uh, actually kind of livid but uh you know i know he's coming back so i'm okay with it i i I wondered actually you know as we're trying to deal with some of the um some of the different messages some of the different ideas presented here i wondered if there wasn't something um bad about keeping secrets Uh, and there are a few different ways that you can actually look at that i mean first of all i mean duras is about to take control of the klingon empire because Worf decided that would be the better thing to do than, you know, to rock the Klingon Empire with, you know, with the truth. Um, and now you've got the same sort of thing happening with uh, with uh, with Kalar. If Worf had said, hey, don't tell anybody, but here's what happened. Because Kalar ends up, you know, going and digging in, playing Columbo herself, and gets murdered as a result. And maybe if Worf hadn't been so secretive about the whole thing. Or Picard. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if yeah. they had actually been, you know, up front... I understand you can't spread the business all over the place because you don't want the Klingon Empire to fall down. But she is somebody that not only they could have trusted, they should have trusted. And because they didn't, she ends up dead. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I I think that's a a valid point. I mean, she is an ambassador. It's not just like somebody on the Enterprise saying, uh, hey, Picard, what happened when you were down there on the uh, Klingon homeworld? You want to you, you share with me on that? No, I mean, the, this is the Klingon ambassador, and this is a matter of who will take over 
the the position of leading that entire empire and potentially colluding with Romulans since we know what's going on with that. It seems like at a certain point that that secret should have or could have been shared and done in a safe and pragmatic way. At the same time, though, did uh, did Picard know that Kalar and Worf had mated? Mm, right, yeah. Yeah, I'm not well, saying... Well, well, that's well, there's definitely... this kid. There is this kid on board. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, she has a kid. Yeah. That's all I know. She's, I mean, she's, there are, there's more than one Klingon in her life. I'm not saying there's more than one Klingon romantically in her life, but, you know, yeah. she shows up with a kid. I don't think, you know, Picard's going to automatically assume, hey, he, he's got a forehead kind of like my security officer <laughs> and every other Klingon in the Empire. Um, now I'm not saying that Worf would necessarily need to share that either, but, I mean, it, the lack of transparency really leads to a lot of tragedy in this. And, of course, you're still going to have that lack of transparency. I'm not saying everybody needs to spread all of their business everywhere. But, I mean, it really is the secret to sort of – because I think if, if Worf had had – not Worf. If Picard had had any idea of the nature of their relationship, then he might have gone ahead and told Kalar or at least indicated something. Hmm. And then, you know, might have saved her life. But as you said, we needed her to die. <laughs> we needed her to die so that Worf could kill someone. Worf, who all through season one is drawing a phaser <laughs> the second that door opens. Yeah. But now we have to kill somebody that he cares about before he's ready to kill anybody. No, oh, he's grown. <laughs> but that scene, that scene with Alexander and Worf finding Kalar, I, I thought it was really powerful. And it, it seemed a bit gruesome for Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've seen people die from phasers before, and I would say maybe the most gruesome scene that we've uh, witnessed up until now, uh, other than an exploding head with a little uh, critter crawling out of it, <laughs> is maybe uh, maybe finding the uh, the scientists on the regular one space station in Wrath of Khan. That yeah. was uh, that's a bit bloody, um, but it was a well written scene uh, when Worf tells Alexander to look at the scene rather than do what we would probably rightfully do as humans, which is hide the kid from the horror. Um, <laughs> little little difference in uh, Klingon parenting. Although, parenting. well, yeah, it was also weird, though. Beverly, who we've said has been so great with kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> she realizes she can't do anything with Kalar and just sits there and sort of stares at Kalar. Yeah, right. And there's a three- right. to five-year-old still standing on the side, you know, looking yeah. at all the blood. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was kind of surprising. Probably time to call Deanna. Maybe she, so. She was, she's she the was, one who wasn't in this episode, right? And no uh, Wesley either. No, he was there. He was sitting. Uh, oh, right, He was right. sitting he, at the. Uh, he was at ops. Yeah. 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 Um, so some time ago, when we were talking about sins of the father, you made a pretty bold statement that if the Klingon Empire is so corrupt, then maybe it should just be burned to the ground. And, and I believe those were the words: burned to the ground. Well, <laughs> that was probably what I said because I've said it a few times. Is it's it's one of those. Um, uh, burn this village to save it mm-hmm. kind of things. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's be clear, uh, the Klingon Empire doesn't exist. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> well, exactly. exactly. So in your fiction, yeah. yes, I'll say that. In the real world, yeah. you know, then it gets a little bit more, uh, gets a little bit more hairy. But if we're looking for, if we're looking for analogy, then I, yeah. I, then I want my analogy yeah. to be unequivocal. Yeah, but but I think that's a reasonable thing given the, the circumstance here, the more that I think about it. You know, mm-hmm. it, what, what is the point... And constantly invoking the word honor when the thing that you're defending isn't honorable. Right. Um, And I like that in this, we see more of Klingon tradition and law. And the more it gets twisted by everyone to suit their own purposes. 
I kept thinking that that that's the kind of thing in the story that makes it relatable to the real world. And I'm not saying that as some sort of political statement or, or ideological statement. I just mean that, that people have a tendency to do that. You know, once you're married to an idea and that idea becomes part of your identity, then it's very easy to do the logical twists and turns and acrobatics mm -hmm. to justify all kinds of terrible behavior and maybe even defend institutions that aren't worth defending anymore. Um, so <laughs> I, I thought this did a good job of continuing that idea. Yeah, I'm curious why you don't want to make it political. Well, no, because I, I think you can take this and you could really apply it to anybody. Yeah. And, and again, and you know, and, and this this show, our show is not a political platform form for well john believes this and ken believes he should vote for so and so i mean i think this is this is an idea that you can apply to specific political situations but mm -hmm. it's also an idea that you can apply to any belief any ideology that is married to personal identity and that's the thing about the klingons you know mm -hmm. the, the klingons are all about their personal identity being wrapped up in honor and tradition and we do these things because they are honorable and tradition and then the flip side of that if i do a thing it is honorable because i am honorable yeah you know yeah, yeah. we we even yeah we, we mentioned the thing about nixon you know well if a president does it then it must be legal because i'm the president <laughs> you know right so yeah. yeah, absolutely. You can apply all kinds of political situations to this, but I'm I'm interested in the even bigger picture that that this presents. I, I think it's a fascinating idea. Yeah, well, and and it definitely comes back to uh, it comes back to bite them mm -hmm. in this episode. I mean, so it kind of goes back to what I was saying uh, earlier. Kempek has been there for a very long time. He is protecting the status quo at this point, and and I get it. I mean, they don't want everything they know to fall apart. But, I mean, it ends up costing him huge in this episode. So they've got these secrets, and because this this bad actor who had these secrets um, has been allowed to continue, uh, then he then he makes it worse. He goes ahead and he goes ahead and kills the thing that that made it possible for him to live, and now he's going to take control. Um, it kind of goes back to the thing I was talking about with secrets with Kalar. It kind of goes back to the status quo that I was talking about with Kempak. I mean, it really, it really is just. I mean, it's it is it is rotting from inside. It's interesting, actually. They say that Galron is an outsider. Galron is an outsider who has challenged the council. Okay, mm -hmm. well then, then now there's a chance maybe for the Klingon Empire. Although he could be an outsider who's crazy as a bedbug. I mean, have you seen his <laughs> eyes? I mean, <laughs> seriously, yeah, this guy, this may not be the best thing. We don't know. <laughs> Um, and, and like you were talking about too, I mean, um, it's sort of the modern versus the old form rights of succession thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's weird to me how quickly Duras and Gowron want to get everything over with. I mean, Duras more than Gowron, uh, but I mean, he just wants to say like, come on, let's go. I gotta get, I gotta get in power. It's, I mean, they're seriously talking about an hour. He is going to be the leader of the Klingon empire. But but he doesn't want to wait fifteen minutes, <laughs> which is which is kind of stunning. It's it's weird to me that you know they they are steeped in tradition, they are steeped in honor. But let's go ahead and get rid of the tradition part, and we'll just we'll just keep saying we're honorable, and people will believe it because we keep saying it. Yeah, I mean it really is kind of a kind of a kind of a horrible thing. Um, there was there was another there was another I, I like Picard's thing in this. About the sons of the father and not necessarily being the sons of the son. 
mm-hmm. as far as he's concerned. Warp says that Duras should not be allowed to lead the council because his father betrayed the Klingons to the Romulans. Thus, Duras is a traitor. And Picard's like, dude, no, that was his dad. That was not Duras. You know, except we know that Duras is a bad guy, but we've we've all decided that he's not. So he's not. Um it kind of ties into uh, Picard's speech at the end as well, where we have we have 13 planets represented here, um, each with their own traditions. And I respect every one. Uh, but, but when you get here, that's outside. Start over. You leave that on the transporter pattern. You leave that in the airlock, right? Mm-hmm. What you are before you get here. I mean, the sins of your culture, if you want to say that, have no bearing here. Just like the glories of your culture have no bearing here. Who you are and what you do here, that's what has bearing here. Um, kind of remind me a little bit, honestly, of Legacy. Legacy, hmm. yes, with uh, yeah, with okay. uh, Ishara. Yeah, I mean, she she you know can't necessarily be trusted, but I mean, he's going to start from zero with everybody except for Ferengi. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he's going to start right. from right. okay. Don't know anything about you. I'm going to assume the best. Don't let me down. Um, that seems to be his way with his crew and with just about everybody else he comes across. It was just eh, it was just. Show presented a few more ideas than I expected as we went to it again. Well, maybe Data should have been around more for this episode because he could have learned another valuable lesson about not trusting people. What, in this episode? Yeah. He already knew to not trust Duras, didn't he? No, not really. No, that's right, because they kept that quiet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't around for any of that. It was actually an amazing episode in that almost nobody was in it a lot, but everybody was in it, except for Troy. Oh, Contractual obligations. Suddenly, Worf has a family that suddenly goes away. What from the episode, Reunion, can we keep? They got the band back together and not one song. That's oh. that's crazy, man. That'd be like there if you got... a good Klingon songs. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. true. <laughs> great at opera. But bands don't usually... Rock opera, maybe. Hey, uh, Reunion, John, it's time to do that thing where we figure out whether the episode holds up, what the messages, morals, and meanings are, all that jazz. Um, Does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground here. And even if we didn't cover all the ground that, you know, maybe our listeners found in this as well, I feel like this is a a rich episode. Uh, It's a good little bit of political intrigue Mm -hmm. uh, that has a payoff if you like Klingon stories and you like Klingon intrigue in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really good to see the return of Kalar, um, the the late Kalar, (laughs) you know, Um, because I think the relationship stuff here works pretty well as well. Um, Even if we may be left a question, well, why would Worf just give up his kid that quickly? <laughs> you know, yeah. it seems like, hey, make make up for a little lost time here. Do, do, do something. You know, is that really the honorable thing to do? Um, and if we did wrap it up a little too fast at the end, like, okay, well, that guy's dead. We got a new emperor. See ya. Um, <laughs> it, it's still, you know, it, at least respecting the Klingon wishes and this even twisted idea of honor that the, that the Klingons have at least that solved the problem on their end. So so they're good to go. So I'll say yes, it, it, it works. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't have any hesitation to say that this one works and, and holds up. How about you? Do we know if they knew that Alexander was going to come back? 
Uh, we do not have any indication that we knew that Alexander would come back. All right. If I did not know that Alexander was coming back, I'd be pulling my hair out right now. <laughs> and a lot of people know I shaved my head, so I'd be growing my hair out and then pulling it out. Just pull it out. Yeah. It's, um, I, liked, I liked the episode more on the second viewing than I did on the first. The first time, second and third, uh, the first time I was just sort of like, oh, okay, we're just doing the Klingon soap opera. And and mm-hmm. and it was only watching it again and again. There was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. So I mean, there was there was actually more to it the second or third time. I mean, I thought it was a fine, I thought it was a fine Klingon soap opera initially. So yeah, I'd say it holds up across the board, with the exception of the part. Again, you know, if if we were never going to see Alexander again, then I think I'd be livid. Yeah, there's like, oh, here's a kid. Oh, no more kid. I mean, because that, yeah. that's a big thing. I mean, it's interesting too that we did not talk about. A whole lot about the whole parenthood thing in this, but that's because neither does Worf. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> it's practically not a thing right. that he has a kid now. Um, but you know, of course, once Alexander comes back, uh, that will be a that will be a bigger thing. What well, about all uh, of? Go ahead. I would say all, all of this that that indicates who Worf is, and and kind of this internal conflict about who Worf is. You know, whether we have the kid here for you know a total of. 10 minute screen time in this episode or, you know, and we don't see him again for a year or however long. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I think all of that is still about building this character of Worf and, and the, the more layers that we add to him, the more interesting he becomes to me. I totally agree with your assessment that it works better a second or third time. Yeah. Um, I, I think there are scenes in this that are very short that have a lot of information mm-hmm. and that, that pack a lot of plot into them. Just, just people sitting across the table and chatting. That there's a lot of information in very short scenes. So you kind of need to see it a couple of times more yeah. to really get a feel for it, to really get your bearings on this episode. But yes. Here's the thing, though. I mean, you say it's adding a layer to Worf. Mm-hmm. Again, it's only because I know Alexander's coming back that I'm willing to accept that. I mean, go back to when the Roshenkos oh, sure. came. Yeah. Yeah. When the Roshenkos came in family, and Riker's like, I don't understand why you don't want to see your family. Whoever was writing that had no, had apparently no memory of how uncomfortable Riker's family made Riker. Right. 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 So you say right. we're adding a layer, and I'm saying, okay, because I know this is going to be a layer that we're going to address again, then I'm okay with it. Otherwise, you're just piling stuff on in an episode. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing that might have made this that might have made this episode. I mean, having watched it all, I know that you know he's going to dress up like a cowboy and go play with his kid, and that's kind of <laughs> awesome, you know. But but that that doesn't right. happen today. Today, what happens is, oh, I have a child, oh, my boy. I've lost my boy. Oh, and there he is. <laughs> right. <clears throat> what about messages? Right. Um. Well, Worf to me is is this embodiment of uh, a couple of ideas, and, and at least with this one, that honor isn't the only thing. You know, for as much as he goes through in this episode, saying, "Well, well, I can't do this because it'll hurt these other people, and I can't get married because it will hurt my family line." You know, for all this mental gymnastics he's doing, talking himself out of his obligations, and using honor as the crutch to do that, the same way that Spock would use logic as the crutch to talk himself out of doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, we finally get to a place at the end where at least for a few seconds, he's able to throw that out the window and say that, that this honor and maybe obligation, obligation to honor obligation to what other people expect 
isn't the most important thing. What's most important is that he is who he is. And who he is is his father to this boy. And who he is is this guy who's been hurt at the death of his mate. Mm-hmm. You know, so there are all these other things that then come to the surface finally, finally for Worf. Um, so I, I think that's a pretty, uh, I think that's a pretty exciting thing to see in, uh, in a character like this. Um, so is that, is that a message? Well, maybe, you know, certainly not on that dramatic a level for, for, for the rank and file of us just watching an episode of TV, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, but I do like the, the implied message there that, that, you know, obligation and and this misplaced sense of of honor and obligation isn't as important as as being who you are and being true to uh, true to what's in your heart. How about you, sir? Well, as sort of coming from the opposite side on that, I like the fact that um, who you are is more important than what you are. Who you are is more important mm. than where you came from. I mean, it goes okay. back again to Picard's Kirk speech at the end. <laughs> you know, right. the, yeah, yeah. Thirteen planets represented here, and they and they they leave all that stuff behind when they get here because we're all working towards something again. It goes back to the legacy thing a little bit. I mean, what was Ashara completely taken by? She was completely taken by the fact that all these people from all these different cultures uh, are are working together for one common cause, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so you're a Ferengi. Well, fine, that's good, and that means you've got your stuff. But when you come here, you're a Starfleet officer. Uh, you're you're a Klingon, okay, but when you're here, you're a robot. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I sort of, I mean, that that was actually one of the things that I picked up on um, that I really that I really liked, and that's true on so many levels in this episode. I think it's it's true of you know Worf and his whole discommendation thing. That's not really who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true of uh, it's true of. Um, it, it just it, it plays through this uh, episode. It seems um, the honesty is the best policy thing. I mean, maybe it's not that. That's a little flip way to say that. But uh, the idea of building um, your life on secrets, the idea of having to um, act in a different way than you than you say you're going to or than you should because you don't want the truth to come out. I mean, you know, we're mm-hmm. we're, we're human, so mm-hmm. we all do that. <laughs> I think on some level and maybe we don't all do that but we all do that um, it, so that was it, it's it was interesting to see how that can be how that can lead to folly or how that can lead to disaster in a way um, you know I don't know that I believe in, in complete and utter transparency but the living on the absolute antithesis of what you say you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, defending your, quote, honor by being completely dishonorable in all your dealings or defending the honor of somebody who is completely dishonorable in all of their dealings. Um, yeah. It strikes yeah. me as a, as kind of bad. And, of course, there, there may be a, a message here about safe holodeck play. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's sort of implied, yeah. maybe, or just, yeah. Yeah, perhaps so. (laughs) So does all that stuff hold up as far as, I mean, there's nothing, it's weird. We keep asking the does it hold up question, but it feels like the message is, maybe we should just say, by the way, that message stinks. Because we we keep asking and the answer tends to be yes at this point. Sure. But sure. you know. at this point, yes, and and safe holodeck play for sure. Yeah, well, yeah, should go for everything. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, We of course are talking about the weapons that he uses to fight on the holodeck. Absolutely, I don't know if there if anybody thought anything else. Then that's no. that's just 
you just need to remember uh, that Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Uh, You can find out more about all the stuff that Roddenberry does, from things to buy to saving the planet at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, Future Imperfect. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. This episode featured the addition of one child, and the subtraction of five lives, yet we still end with the same number of people on the Enterprise as when we began. So, it is basically a break-even show. And transmission.